When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Yes, yes. Welcome in to the Tim McKernan Show. It's a podcast here on the Inside STL Podcast Network from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. Alongside the great gangster Pete, it's time for questions from the audience. Your questions, your stories, your opinions, whatever. They're all welcome. Email me, tmckernan at InsideSTL.com, T-M-C-K-E-R-N-A-N at InsideSTL.com. Subscribe to the podcast. We have incredible interviews dating back to October 2017 with the coronavirus. A lot of those are on hold at the moment, but uh, questions from the audience continues. Gangster Pete, hello. How are you? Fine, sir. What up? Doing well. Just kicking it. I always enjoy uh, BSing with you on this. We don't really BS with you much on TMA. You come in, you send your links, you giggle, but uh, questions from the audience (laughs) is where you are able to... uh, to spread your wings. I told you at the start I'm going to try to cap this at an hour because I guess I went super long last week and didn't realize it. So I, we are starting at 10.20 Central Time, even though we're both in St. Louis, so I don't know why I said that. Uh, 10.20 Central Time as we record this on Tuesday, April 14th, 2020. Um, and I will try to make sure that I cap this at 11:20. And by the way, if I if all of a sudden I'm on some tangent, remind me that we said that, and, and you'll be you'll be uh, doing me a service. But I, I'm looking <laughs> at my it. clock uh, to make sure that we try to to cap it at uh, an hour. I also want to, but I don't know if it's possible based on the questions. Although there's some that aren't coronavirus oriented, um, to avoid that topic as much as possible. Um, and it's not because I don't want to talk about it. It's just we have talked about it. I don't know outside of things that would be deemed political. Um, and not that I'm like, obviously, I think I feel like we talk politics probably about a quarter or a third of, of this podcast, at least questions from the audience. But it's it's at this point now, I feel like we're back on, you know, you see it one way, I see it another way thing. And, and we, you know, are debating facts. And I just I really tilts me. I got a little banty on the radio program this morning. Yeah, I heard uh, that. I noticed that. It's When it was over, yeah, well, what about the, quote, medical doctors who said 2.2 million people are going to die? I'm like, oh my God, that didn't happen. I can't <laughs> do it. I can't do it. I can't. I can't act like this is fine. It's not fine to make crap up. Um, models, if you did not change anything, indicated that. Not medical doctors. Models said if we don't do anything, 
And then, it, then it'll be when 2.2 million people don't die, somehow be, well, where are all the doctors who said 2.2 million <laughs> people are going to die? It's the same shit I was talking about last week with 100,000 to 240,000 people are going to die. And then when 100,000 Americans don't die, then it'll be, see, I did a great job. I can already see it coming. And it tilts me beyond belief. So with that all said, we have a bunch of emails. Um, we have some fan page questions. More people certainly go the email route. Um, because, because, hey, let me ask you this. Yep. You 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 make no secret of being anti fan page. Uh, I guess Iggy would be anti fan page since he left it. The cat is not on Facebook. Doug, by definition, is a member of the fan page, but certainly not active on it. And the Plowhawk um, is on it and will will certainly spar, but he'll also uh, play uh, play around on there. And the Plowhawk and I were uh, texting over the weekend. And uh, I don't know how the topic even came up, but um, I think we were talking about the potential for the show and, and the fact that it's still on an upward trajectory and some of the things that we would um, that, that we're interested in doing with it. Um, and I said, oh, I think we we're talking about the social media presence of the show. And I said, yeah, I mean, outside of the fan page, there really isn't much of a social media presence. And it was either him or me that said, yeah, and most of the people on the fan page or not most of, but like a third of the people on the fan page aren't necessarily even fans of the show. Uh, so it was just an arbitrary number. But Gangster Pete, I know you don't spend a lot of time there. Right. Would you take the over or the under on that number? That a third of the people are not fans? Correct. I would probably go under, but I think it's still a good amount of people. Yeah. I mean, that's I one of the, how, that's one of the reasons I have a problem with it. I don't like getting on there and then seeing people like trashing my friends that I work with. So like I know that I'm not going to respond to it. So it's like I'd just rather not see it. Yeah, I I, I don't really have that uh, luxury. It's a it's a weird thing. Like I'm well aware of it, and then there's some people who are kind of like a like in on the stuff where it's going on in different places that share it with me, and I'm like, yeah, I appreciate it. It's like honestly, I this is goes this is the same message board type thing that I dealt with. With just a, a, a different group of people, um, you know, 15 years ago, I guess 15 years ago to 10 years ago, it, it, it ran that long. And it's the same type of stuff. And it's a weird deal. And I don't know how to describe it where it kind of like for a, but you're talking about not a sliver, but a, but a small percentage, single digit for sure that kind of gets obsessed. And then there's then there becomes like, you know, yeah, I heard this and then I heard this and then they did this. And it's, it just becomes all my, you know. Like, what about the, the 16 years we've been on the air for three hours? Can you get a gauge on our personalities from that, or do you think we're all acting or doing and – it, and, it, and it's an odd thing, but then I recognize there's probably 95-plus percent of the people who are hearing this right now and go, what in the hell are you even talking about? And I don't know how to describe it. I know back in the day Howard Stern talked about there was like a Howard Stern – it wasn't Facebook because it was pre-Facebook, but maybe like message board, and that – turned into something that was went into disarray and they shut it down. I love being able to interact with the audience and I really don't tweet much at all and so that's where I get a chance to do it. But I recognize what is very obvious when you've done this this long, you know, who I, I guess the way I would describe it is this. I think I think way more than 67% of the people on there are fans of the show. I think there is a decent percentage though of the, those who want to see chaos and who enjoy <laughs> the get your popcorn ready gifts of anything that could indicate a headache for us 
um, or individuals. And that's the thing, you know, that they're kind of pulling for a failure. That's the thing that, that, that again, it's obvious to me, but if, if you're not aware of it, it's, it's tough to, to point to it. It's, it. They're easy tells because, again, I have, like, so long in dealing with it. And so one of the things that happened last week that got the whole thing going, got the discussion with me and the Plowhawk going, and I was communicating with John Vaughn, Doug's son, um, because he left the page. And this was a day where I think I was out all afternoon and just hadn't even looked at it. So, you know, talk about six hours, and I come back and I see all these things that John Vaughn had left the page, and I'm like, oh, my God, what happened for John Vaughn to leave the page? And we communicated, and then I saw the post. Um, and, it, and, it, and it's, you know, Doug politics and, um, you know, something that, that I know we've discussed here and we actually did discuss on the radio, too. And it got, it you know, it, it, it pissed John off. But, it, but it, it, and, you know, to be clear, it's not like it was one post that sent John over the edge. He just said it's, there's negativity on social media right now as it is, and it's really tough to read stuff about my dad that I know isn't true. And that's the thing, man. That's what I was saying about Doug. It's like I obviously don't agree with a lot of his political opinions or who he currently supports in office, um, you know, you know, strongly. Um, but that doesn't change my opinion of Doug as a person and what I know of Doug. And to insinuate some things regarding him, it's I guess that kind of goes to what you were saying with you know that some people – in your opinion anyway, have negative motives and will be attacking your friends slash coworkers and <laughs> you don't and you don't want to uh and you don't want to see it. And I get it. And and in a way it's kinda like I guess I create this stuff and I should learn my lesson by now. Like it would be better if maybe I created the page but then it's not people aren't aware that I created it and then I can just be like a participant because I think a lot of the animosity toward me, which I'm now as I said before, I'm now swerving into it's just like, okay, fuck it, you don't like me, fine, fuck it. Uh is is from the the perspective of, oh, you can you 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 know, you're you're creating this atmosphere that uh people can't dissent and be critical of the show or of you. And and I would absolutely disagree with that premise. The only thing I don't like is when people state things as facts that I know are not facts. That's where I step in. And if somebody's behaving like an asshole, what I do is I contact, or me or the moderator contacts Nenzi, contact them privately, and ask to have a conversation, and and then say, hey, listen, you know, here's essentially you know a request. If you can't do that, though, we're going to have to take you off the page, um, and then try to keep the accounts to real human beings. That's that, that's it. So. Um, that, that was something that, uh, that, that the Plowhawk and I were debating. I go, God, yeah, I don't know if it's a third. I don't think it's that high. But it was just kind of a number you throw out. And so you're on the under on the third. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a vocal minority. Like, it's a very, I bet it's a very small but it's number, not even, it's not even vocal. A lot of it's, like, passive. Like, it's like, I, I don't know how to describe it. Like, some of the most active people, <laughs> when it comes to things that are good news for the show, are dead silent. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? So you can't, you can't see it unless you know how it works. But because I've dealt with this with a whole different group of people 15 years ago, I know the tells, or even before that, on things that I didn't have anything to do with. But I would see it. It's like this passive stuff. And, uh, you know, like, I don't know. It's just, it, 
And psychologically, it's annoying because, you know, Doug has his political views and and he's welcome to his opinions. I get involved if I think he's saying something that isn't correct and I'll ask for a source or I will look for something that is sourced and then I will point out that that is not necessarily accurate. But I'm not going to yell at the man, you know, nor, nor would I yell at you or Iggy or the cat or Plowhawk. I'm not much of a yeller. Um, and so I guess that doesn't satisfy those who just want blood. <laughs> but I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know. But but either way, um, for the purpose of today's questions from the audience, the attempt is to, for the most part, steer clear of COVID-19 questions. Although, don't get me wrong, a lot of them are COVID-19 oriented. Um, so this one kind of is. We'll, we'll lead with this one. Um, but it's more radio than, than COVID-19, and I think you'll understand here uh, when we get into it. Hey, Tim, as a prospective buyer of a radio station, speaking on hypothetical terms, thank you for doing that because that is correct. There is no deal, and there may not be a deal. I would still, for the record, characterize the chances of us buying KFNS uh, as, as a coin flip, so to be clear on that. Um, seeing, uh, let's see, as a prospective buyer of a radio station, speaking on hypothetical terms, could you see yourself placing an additional emphasis on owning enough Comrex devices for all hosts to have have one in the future event of a pandemic or similar stay-at-home order? Seeing how easy it is for you and the producers and studio to communicate using your Comrex unit, as well as how seamlessly Lisa Ann can dial in through her Comrex unit, is this something you might potentially consider? Also could allow for a way to mitigate the risk of requiring use of the phone lines for callers to be able to call in. I think this is also a peek into the future for all industries as we move past COVID companies, as we move past COVID, period, companies are learning what they should keep in greater excess reserve in order to be prepared for this situation. It's alarming just how quickly things progressed in the early phase of this pandemic, I'm thinking hospitals maintaining emergency supplies of gloves and masks, public places with sanitizing products, etc. As a guy in his mid-20s, it seems like the way things will rebound will be vastly different than the way they were pre-COVID. It's my impromptu opinion. Thanks. That's from the Eureka Urologist. Uh, Gangster Pete, just in general, um, before I go into more specifics, um, do you have any reaction to the Eureka Urologist question? Great name. Um, the only problem I see with that is that there's only two access points at the moment. So the most number of people you could have on the Comrexes at once is two. So obviously for our show, that doesn't exactly work. I don't know if that's something we could change, but I mean, yeah, I mean, I think it's always good to have contingency plans. Right. I mean, it's, it's a fine, it's a fine question. It's one of those questions that, um, on the outside, I get it. When you're on the inside, you go, dude, what the hell? But I also recognize that, quote, dude, what the hell? He, This isn't his business. Just like for me to pontificate on urology would not be my business. So um, you make the access point observation. Um, the other element is cost. Right. So each, each Comrex unit costs around $5,000, give or take. Oh, wow. I didn't know they cost that much. Yeah. Um, I mean, maybe you can get used ones, refurbished ones for less, but a new Comrex is $5,000, give or take. One I'm looking at right now is $4,600. Um, and so there's cost. Um, and it's, it's one of those things that 
It's kind of like what I was saying at the outset of our uh, discussion today, Pete, with regard to criticism. It's a weird thing to talk about when you're talking with people who have never experienced it. Um, Because I, I feel like you can't understand it until you've experienced it. But fortunately, really, and I'm talking about public criticism, 99 plus percent of the population, 99 percent plus, hasn't experienced it. And I mean, I've experienced it at a relatively speaking low level. I mean, you're talking about St. Louis radio, but still I've experienced it. And it never, uh, it never feels good, but I assure you it feels a hell of a lot different than the first time I read it in April of 1999 on Tiger Board uh, <laughs> after my Kareem Rush report uh, wound up being accurate, but two days late uh, for when he would sign with Missouri. So, um, I mean, that, that like ruined my weekend and psychologically destroyed me when I was 22 years old. Different ball game now. But again, it's not like I don't want to say it doesn't bother me. It just kind of is a, you know, you recognize the sources and usually the sources are you know, there's there's reasons for it. They're not they're not necessarily like, well, I do think it's a good show, but I think it's really inappropriate for Tim to discuss pornography as he does. And here's a reason. Here's a study conducted by the New England Journal of Medicine on the impact of pornography on marriages and on sexual relationships. And here in this paragraph, it's, you know, it's it's usually fuck him. He's a pervert and he doesn't believe in God. You know, it's that kind <laughs> of stuff. And so you, you separate the two. So with regard to talking about operating a business, it's one of the things in the first seven years or so of the morning after, I guess five years of the five, six years of the morning grind slash morning after, I didn't operate a business, had never operated. I mean, I guess I owned Inside STL, but it didn't operate radio programming. And so I'm sure there are things that I said probably passive aggressively because I was a monster prick. If you think I'm a prick now, imagine <laughs> then. And, and I was probably taking shots at management about things not being right. And then you get on the other side of the desk and you go, oh, there are reasons for it. But what I think you can do better is communicate the reasons, both with your employees and with your audience. And so the Eureka urologist asks a great question. It, it truly is. But on the other side of it, from the employer or the owner standpoint, you would have costs. So, you know, if you have three hosts on TMA and, I don't know, let's say, eight hosts the rest of the day to get us through uh, afternoon drive, you know, at that point, let's just make it a round number for the hell of it. Let's say it's a total of 10 hosts. Yeah, you have $50,000 worth of Comrex units. And I realize also that people are not privy to financials, but I assure you, whereas for some places, $50,000 might not be a big deal, for um, this particular entity, it would be a big deal. And so, you know, that's a factor. Um so, with that said, and the, and the only reason why I even have this thing is because I was renting it personally from our station's engineer for uh, for my spring training broadcast, and I had it with me. And so, when I got back to St. Louis, I could just plug it in and be connected. Uh, is is it, Pete? Is is uh, Frank Cusimano using one? How's he been doing his show? No, he's been he's here. He's here right now. Oh, he's coming in. Yeah, he's coming in every day. Him and his board op. Know that Hoffman's at home, but Cusimano's here. Huh, I had no idea. Yeah, because I saw Hoffman tweeting about being at home. Oh, interesting. I had no idea. So, uh, and I know Cam, I know Cam's been doing it from his house. Um, I don't know how Charlie's been handling it. But, um, I mean, listen, the question in a vacuum is it, it would be an absolute. But with factoring in cost 
and there is a good chance, which I think leads to the, the, the back end of the question about hospitals, is it's almost like you, you need an, it's almost better to have like an insurance policy for it. But then the insurance company would have to have these equipment pieces, not dollars. So hospitals having, you know, or states or the federal government having these monster surpluses for all of this equipment. Yes, right now, of course, sounds like, uh, yes, we need that. But there's cost associated with it, and there's how that cost will be handled, where it will be stored, and so on and so forth. So to apply it to radio, which was what the original point of the question was, yeah, it's $50,000 to have 10 of these things. I imagine if you buy 10 of them, you would probably get some semblance of a discount, maybe as high as 20%. So fine, now we're down to $40,000, but still $40,000 material. It's a good question. I do think this. I'll answer it this way to answer um, with some semblance of finality. I think anybody who is in my position who is looking at buying a radio station has to not only consider something as concrete as broadcasting units, Comrex devices, um, but also uh, alter models on advertising and on all of the streams that, uh, as Pete, now that we can talk about it, that we've been talking about for the last few months that would be part of our venture, which include events, which include merchandise, which include social media, which include podcasts, and, of course, include radio. And if you have something like this happen again, or if this boomerangs uh, and we own the station at that point, um, it's something, you know, you, I mean, I've already altered uh, as far as projections go, you'd be, you know, it'd be ridiculous not to. It's kind of a, you know, I mean, <laughs> if I'm not doing that, that would be a real concern. Um, but, but I'm talking about even in two years how much it impacts things. So, um, yeah, it's not just Comrex units. It's also the top line and how it impacts that. That's something you have to be prepared for. And I would imagine you will see companies um, certainly alter the manner with which they view a pandemic going forward and its impact on business. You can't not. I recall, uh, and I don't know if you had uh, any of this experience with uh, your parents, parents, Pete, but my grandma, you know, grew up in a, uh, in a, a three-person Irish Catholic family. Her last name is Kennedy, and she was just incredibly frugal. And I think it's been passed down to a number of her grandchildren, and it certainly was passed down to her children, my dad and his brother and his two sisters. And I, I recall asking why, and as opposed to a because I said so, it finally got to a point where I was actually getting an answer. And I remember my dad saying, Timmy, my, my mom grew up during the Great Depression. Yep. And once you experience that, you automatically go conservative with your money the rest of your life. And um, therefore, I would imagine, I don't know to what lengths, but, you know, if we're around and we have grandkids, uh, that I would imagine that uh, at some point 2020 and the pandemic comes up as a point of conversation, just like the 1930s and the Great Depression uh, was a huge part of the lives of those who who experienced it then. So that was the way that they then lived the rest of their lives was not everyone, of course, but if, if you lived through it, the days of spending like you did in the roaring 20s were m- substantially altered by what you experienced in the 1930s. Yeah, my grandparents always make my dad clear, clean his plate. 
It's like you eat everything on your plate. And it, you did never that know. come from the Great Depression? Yeah. Huh. It's like you never know if you're going to get your next meal. Now that makes sense because I'm like I'm picturing like like in the wild wild west and talk about cleaning your plate. That makes sense. You're gonna and now now I feel like before this anyway, and I, maybe it will still be this way in a few months. Who knows? Uh, the show will be like a time capsule. But you know, if anything, with obesity in the U.S. is prevalent, it's like ah, it's not too bad as long as my son gets his proper nutrients. I don't need him to shove a bunch of crap <laughs> in his mouth. You know, so you view it differently. All right, off to the next question. I see COVID in it, so I'm going to skip past it. Um, let's see. I think that this one is okay. Hello, Tim. I hope you and the family are doing well. I've always wanted to ask you a question about where you saw the future of TMA slash Inside STL going. Obviously, you've built a pretty unique brand in St. Louis, but how do you think the brand would do in a more regional or perhaps even national stage? Do you look at the successes of barstool sports or outkick the coverage as models you can follow? Are you even in the stage in your life where you would want to take on that kind of challenge? I ask because I think Midwestern markets are starved for better national representation and because media is so fragmented. Curious to hear your thoughts. That's from Tiger Dank. Is that one of your buddies, Pete? No, I do have a friend named Dank who went to Mizzou, but I seriously Not, doubt he's sending emails in. This gentleman has the first name James. Nope. Okay. Um, so, uh, it's a great question. I imagine it ties into our announcement uh, last Thursday with uh, Pat Maroon about uh, pursuing buying KFNS now that it's back in play, um, which it has been the case here for a few months, but we just, you know, kept it... Uh, Kept it in the room, as I say. Um, so I certainly would view it more as barstool than outkick. That's not anything I really, you know, <laughs> that's a different situation to me. Um, how, how do you view those entities without getting into personal criticisms of any of the people involved? I'm talking about the entity, entities. Uh, Clay's kind of more of a one-man show, and yeah. uh, barstool is more of like a conglomerate of people. Yeah, and it's a culture of sorts, too. Yeah. And, um, and so, yeah, the, the, the comparisons have been made. I think it's a hell of a lot more of a compliment to us than it would be to them. They're probably not even aware of us. Uh, I mean, outside of a handful of the people involved there, such as, uh, young page views and rigs. And I guess page views is told Portnoy about our operation, you know, during the Stanley cup thing. But, um, you know, I mean, they've got, you know, nine-figure valuation. They're not necessarily thinking about it. It's a great question. It in 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 when it's been asked here over the last few months, I've kind of had to dance around it because mm-hmm. I didn't want to talk about the radio element. Uh, but now that we're talking about the radio element, and again, I reiterate, it's it's not like this is a done deal. It's it's fifty-fifty. Um, but you know, certainly something that we're you know, hopeful we can get done, but it all has to work. It's not like we're going to do this at all costs. It has to work for all parties. So um, I, my thing when I've spoken with investors um, about what I visualize um, would certainly fall more into the category of Barstool than out, Outkick, as, as Pete observed. That is absolutely true. Pete would be a big part of this, too, by the way. Um, and... Um, the, the, the Barstool success speaks to the economics applied to communication theory that I had in the early 2000s, probably a couple of, actually I know it was a couple of years before we even started the morning grind, 
And by economics, I mean supply and demand, and that was that there was a demand for sports radio-ish content in St. Louis that was not geared toward, all right, coming up, the Cardinals are playing the Pirates tonight. We're going to have the beat writer from the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. And then later on, the Blues are in action tonight against the Stars. We'll go to the hockey writer for the Dallas Morning News. That's what sports, and then we'll take calls. And then you hear like the same 10 people calling in who fancied themselves as celebrities for calling in, asking questions. It's, it, it, you know, it's what I did, essentially, with, with Frank Cusimano. That's what we did when I was host, co-hosting the Press Box in 2003. Um, and I'm just like, yeah, this isn't. And, and I remember saying that, and I remember being in a meeting in the KFNS conference room, the same conference room Martin Kilcoyne almost ended Jason <laughs> Barrett uh, a few years later, um, back in Webster Groves. And I and I was it was met with like, um, like I I don't want to say I was looked at like I was crazy because that makes it too dramatic, but I, actually it was like kind of like a fuck you. So you're saying what we're doing is wrong. That's what I would, especially because I was 25. And my dad was the general sales manager, so I was already disliked because of that because it was perceived nepotism. So you had that going. Um, but, yeah, I was right. You know, like I said, I'm going to start swerving into this shit. I'm not going to run from it anymore. I'm going to swerve into I was right. I like I, it. I did, yeah, well, I did build it. I did build Tell it. <laughs> you know, I did, fuck it. I did build it. So fuck you. You don't like me. That's fine. But I did build it. And I did take chances. And it did work out. So fuck off. Um, and so, you know, I did take a chance because it wasn't being done at the time, but I surrounded myself with talented people and good people too. And, and so it was actually a conversation with a gentleman at Clear Channel, which is now iHeartMedia, who's a really good guy. And, um, and I feel like we might've been on a trip when the Cardinals played the Diamondbacks in 2001. And that's how I got to know him in the playoffs. They lost the Tony Womack base hit to end the series and they wound up winning the world series. And then a couple months later, we were on a trip when the Rams played the Patriots in the Super Bowl, and I revisited it. Or it might have been when the Rams played the Patriots in 2001 in Foxborough, and I was on that trip. Either way, I know it was around then. And then I followed up with him, and I wonder if he's still in the industry. I know he's not in St. Louis anymore. And I said, what about you know, a sports talk show, but it's not really sports talk, and it's kind of geared toward younger people. And he said, I really like the idea. He goes, I just don't know where I would put it right now. Clear Channel didn't have a sports talk radio station in St. Louis. I think they were more music. I don't think they had any talk. I don't think they have any talk now. Um, and so that was that was that was thought nearly 20 years ago. And so now 20 years later, where are they? Well, we obviously have something successful with with TMA, but you want to build on it now. That would that would, so anytime I talk with investors, so I'll essentially say what I've said to investors and, and people who would be part of our management team, which are all in place if this were to happen. You know, this isn't like okay, we got it. Oh shit, now let's get investors and now let's get the, the GMs and all that. Everything's in place if we're to get it. Um, but it's the if we can get it. So with that said, uh, it's it's radio, but then it's podcasts, kind of an obvious one since you're listening to one right now. It's social media shows, uh, which would include Facebook Lives, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, um, Instagram Live. Um, it, it's merchandise, which Pete, to his credit, totally showing that I am, am absolutely not right. Uh, hell, most of the time, Pete was so bullish on merchandise working, and I said, I just don't think it will. Uh, I've had bad experiences with it in recent years, and sure enough, turned it into something that... You know, it's not like we could fund the business on, but it it, it was it was a, an absolute 
material revenue stream with relatively speaking I mean, is is bare bones of an operation as it could be. Pete designed these shirts with STL style and then wound up ordering them, shipping them, and doing it all by himself. I mean, that's not how you really build a, a merchandise wing of a business. That's not what we would do in a, in a, in a bigger operation. And, um, and then also events. Um, and so all of those streams, as a matter of fact, with doing revenue projections, I, I figure all of these into it. And I would say right now, Let's let's just let's focus on 2021 because 2020 is obviously, hopefully, um, an outlier, uh, both from the standpoint of we wouldn't own the station for an entire year, and also of course what's going on economically. So let's say 2021 is more like 2019, um, or to take it out of a boom period, you know, 2010, a recovery period, and uh, I would say. I'm just spitballing a number here. I would say 75% of the businesses, the media companies' revenue would be radio advertising. And then in five years, 2026, I would say if I am correct on my read of the way things are moving, which I think is kind of obvious, I would say radio advertising would be less than 50% of the company's uh, revenue pie chart. Do you follow me when I'm saying? Because I feel, Pete, Pete, I feel like I've talked about this with you more than anybody on the show. Yeah, absolutely. I I completely agree with that. Yeah. So it, it, so so then people go, well, then why buy a radio station if you view radio's revenue declining? And it's a great question. It's an, it's it, it's the it's, it should be the first <laughs> question anybody who's paying attention asks. And the reasoning is, is in order to build up the digital the podcasts, the social media shows, the merch, and the events, it's my opinion that you increase your revenue probability, especially in a market like St. Louis that tends to be a little bit behind the curve of larger markets um, or more tech-savvy markets or younger markets uh, by having your home base. And radio would be the home base. It would be the centerpiece of the media company for the time being, which then allows people to get comfortable with the technology that becomes the main source, which would be digital, um, which I think is kind of obvious. So part of starting the podcast in 2017 was to get a larger percentage of the audience comfortable with accessing content exclusively via podcast. Uh, it was a it was a long play. Don't get me wrong. It, it it obviously has advertisers, and it obviously has an audience, and, it, and we've gotten incredible guests, and we have the questions from the audience and the pick six, and, and it's got a following, and that's great. But part of it was strategic. So you know, a lot of people, and Pete and I have had these conversations, and recently have had these conversations with everybody on the show uh, about simply you know when my contract is up. Uh, my contract with the radio station is up at the end of 2021, looking at just going straight digital, 100% digital, which I think we could do. The question becomes how much of the revenue pie that we have for TMA would translate to a strictly digital model. And it's a guess. It's it's art more than science, but it's uh, that's something that we have to factor in. But if this were 2025, that percentage would be higher. So what my thought process is, and what we've discussed as an investment group, is utilizing the radio station to build 
the future models that the rate the, those those uh, those revenue streams already have the audience going to them comfortably. So you have the radio content, but if you want more, go to take your pick of whatever social media outlet or digital stream or podcast or Twitch or Instagram or whatever. Something, you know, when I think people think of Barstool, I think understandably their audience thinks about the content and the talent of the people and the personalities. And that is... That that's 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 certainly for their content consumers, understandably the the focal point. I see what they've done and how they utilize social media to, you know, I think we've talked about it, Pete. Like for young young page views, who's you know become a friend at this point, and how he, you know is constantly tweeting. So when he so then when he slips in a hey you can buy this T-shirt, it isn't like just a all out <laughs> hashtag money, ad money grab exactly. Because he's tweeted a hundred times about other stuff, and then he slips in a, an ad, but he's already built up his following with that. And and me at this moment, hardly ever tweeting. Anytime I'm like retweeting you tweeting about our podcast or you know or t-shirt sales, and it's just it's just you know it's not right. It's not the right formula. But I also have not you know I've gotten to a point where I'm just not real interested in experiencing the bullshit on Twitter. And I I mean I can go back to not caring. Um, and just tweeting and tweeting and tweeting and tweeting and never looking at my mentions for the uh, the burner accounts. And that's probably the better strategy, should we wind up getting this. So I look at Barstool not so much as the content, although I tip my ca- cap to the content and they do some incredibly brilliant and amusing things. Um, it's how they have utilized all of these channels, and by channels I mean different media platforms, to grow. One of the most eye-opening moments for me and this at this point now is almost five years ago because it was at the Inside STL 10th anniversary party, and it'll be our 15th anniversary in August, um, was when all of these young people were there. And, I mean, I'm talking like mid-20s. I mean, the first question I answered from this thing was somebody who was in their teens when when, uh, when we turned 10. Uh, and, and just going, where did you guys, like, how did you find an AM? Especially we were on 920, <laughs> which had no history outside of, uh, when we came, for sports fans anyway, outside of when we came in with CBS Sports 920 in 2013, and they're all just like, podcasts, man, obviously. It's like, yeah, you've got to be aware of that. And and so the final question um, from Tiger Dank was, do I even at this point have an appetite? Yes, I do. I have a major appetite for the business side of it. I don't have an appetite, nor do I just, I just don't think it's my personality to like, like do what like Portnoy, for example, is doing. What Clay is doing is an absolutely separate thing, and that's not that's that's certainly not what I'm interested in doing. But what Portnoy is doing, and I'm talking about, you know, sitting at a table and opening up, you know, samurai swords, <laughs> samurai swords, and doing the the you know, uh, the you know, Davy Day Trader or whatever the hell the thing is, <laughs> um, you know, which is great. I'm not saying I disagree with that. I morally, it's not. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying that's not that's not my personality. That is his personality, and it works. It's like you know, if you if you said to well, this would be. It's not intended to be self-indulgent. It's intended to be a, a comparison. Like if you say to Chris Rock, "How come you don't do Carlin-style comedy?" Well, I mean that that's his personality. It's a different type of thing. You know, and maybe 15 years ago it would have been more me, but that's just not where I am anymore. But I do view 
uh, people such as the Plowhawk and Iggy to be personalities who, are, who you cannot create. They are who they are, and I would want to utilize them more. You know, I think gambling, while this is another Pete project, the Pick 6 podcast, to tap more into that, that that's something you can do without having to be on Twitter or, you know, you know, having a tweet for every every significant event that, that takes place in Americana, which is just not something I'm at this moment interested in doing. Um, that's different. It's the business side of it. And I know, I guess I can't say I know, but I understand from a variety of people who, you know, who are associated with Barstool that the business element of that operation is the thing that really makes it work that's the thing that really makes it work but they aren't sacrificing the quality uh or the authenticity actually is the word i would use it's an important word um they're not they're not sacrificing that for the business it's still organic and i think that matters to people in their 20s and 30s and maybe 40s 50s and 60s too i don't know but uh, i know it matters to me and I think they have been able to find that balance, and that's why that thing continues to uh, grow. Gangster Pete, I went off on a tangent. We only have 20 minutes left. Anything else, sir? Uh, no, I'd just say like the media company that we would try to build would be a lot more similar to Barstool. There's a lot of stuff that you'd want to emulate from Barstool, but, I mean, we do it our way, you know? So yeah, and it's, it's exciting. It'll be more local. It'll be more local, obviously, but that kind of goes without saying. All right, let's see what we got here. I am worried trying to keep to my oh this is this one's titled iggy the goat so it can't possibly be i already agree you you already agree he's the greatest of all time (laughs) i love iggy i'll tell i'll tell us i'll give some background on uh this because this is something that uh, i don't think i've talked about before and i try to give people a little something that they don't get uh on tma on the podcast as a uh, reward for uh for being loyal listeners of the podcast let me read this first tim i've been listening to tma for roughly nine years and every day i look forward to listening to tma and finding out what stories iggy has to tell (laughs) that day at a time when no matter where you look the main story is understandably about the pandemic it's so great having someone like iggy that can take over an entire segment (laughs) with weird stories about homosexual dreams he's had my question is how long have you known iggy and do you uh, have a favorite Iggy story? I'd be curious to know if Pete has a favorite Iggy story, too. Oh, man. My mom used to work at a deli that Iggy's brother owned a long time ago in the Maryland Heights area, Frank and Eddie's, that I believe Iggy was fired from after having... Now, this is a problem because I forgot about this part of the email. After having an issue with a customer who gave him a bad tip. What a guy. Uh, I hope my mom wasn't one of his 700 partners. Thanks for doing the show and QFTA. That comes from... Jeff, uh, so here, with regard to Iggy, I think everybody can tell this, but maybe they can't. I don't know. Um, I mean, it's it really is across the board on the show. Certainly there are different personalities, um, you know, and extremes uh, uh, in various different categories of whatever personality trait you would want to attribute, and then I could probably rank at least my perception of what they would be. Um, but uh, everybody on the show and almost everybody who has ever worked for the show um, you know so obviously you're only talking about four hosts but you're talking about a bunch of producers and board ops over 16 years has been somebody that you know if I saw I would be thrilled to see and I think Doug and the cat and Martin would say the same thing I mean producer Joe hasn't worked on the show in more than seven years and he's still texting me on weekends <laughs> about random shit and obviously texts into the show uh, his 
Ibon partner, Kevin the non-gay, uh, Lorenz, um, you know, will text in here and there and still BSs about things and a variety of people who have run the board uh, still participate and or text or email me. So it's just kind of like one of those things. It wasn't set out to be that way. It's just kind of wound up being that way. Part of it also, I think, is the six of us now and back in the day, if it was me, Martin, and the cat and producer Joe, the four of us and everybody in between, we've endured battles together that are, it's kind of like going through pledgeship um, in a sense that this group of people has to keep the rest of the group together in order to get through the bullshit so you, and, and nobody else knows about it and so you have that bond um, you know so it's, it's, it's in that sense there's something there's something there but with Iggy I guess he's been part of our show um, I think three different times and uh, one time was at 1380 so that has to be in the 2007 to 2010 range Certainly one time was in like the 2012-2013 range, and that was when the, the 590, the man, 1380, the woman thing happened. And I guess, well, I don't guess, I know, uh, that I was operating our window of time on KFNS at that time. So the contract we had was inside STL with uh, KFNS. And um, so it wasn't an, an employee personal services contract. And uh, that's the thing where it got weird because Dan Marshall buys it and he had an option. He could either, either give me um, a large sum of money, which would have been wonderful. Uh, and it, it's not like it was it was I, I can't I can't win by giving the dollar figure. But it was I remember when being asked about it by Dan Caesar, I said, if he's interested in cutting me that check, I will. And I didn't have kids at the time. I would be on a European vacation as soon as possible because it was, you know, it was just a, it was a very, it wasn't a million dollars or anything like that, but it was, it was a nice amount of money. And, um, or we had to have, I think 120 days from the time of notice until, um, until he could put new programming in. And he of course wanted to put in Bubba the love sponge and, Mm. uh, you know, I'll let history debate as to whether or not that wound up working out. But Iggy, was an employee of Inside STLs, and Marshall offered Iggy the opportunity to to be the executive producer of 1380 The Woman, and Iggy shares those stories every now and again. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I recall what it was paying, and it was paying more, a large amount more. And any time, like Pete, I mean, you know the program, I think you know this right now. Even as we're sitting here on the threshold of potentially buying KFNS, but you also know it's not a done deal because you know all of the the, deta- the details. Oh, yeah. Uh, um, if you said, hey, I've got an opportunity and I just want to go somewhere else, even if it was for less money, much less if it was for more money, I mean, there'd be no way I would ever be like, fuck you. I'd be like, good for you. Yeah, you know, I wouldn't it, worry it, about that for a second. Yeah, and, and so I sometimes I hear these stories of bosses or employers like not talking to people again if they leave, and I'm going, I just, I don't know. I mean, listen, I am a fucking asshole. I have it in me. <laughs> But there are things where it's just like to me, it just strikes me as so obvious. Why would I want somebody just to just from this principle? Why would I want somebody to be working for or with me who is not happy to be there? It, it's it's just from a logic standpoint, I, I'm not going to get optimum production. And 
then from just a human standpoint, I don't want people to be forced into something that they don't want to be doing. I mean, just that's relationships or business. It doesn't matter. So that always stra- stra- I hear these stories about, yeah, and then they never spoke again. or They didn't <laughs> speak for 15 years. I'm just like, really? I mean, I want... You know, like like CMAR, for example, the Sea Monster, incredible. Like you're overqualified from a business standpoint to be doing what you're doing right now. CMAR was overqualified from a producing standpoint to be producer of TMA because he was he was a you know he was a radio producer, and for what we wanted to do or what I really wanted to do was I just didn't want guests. You know, unless the, and I wanted guests, but I wanted them on the podcast where it wouldn't be like a press conference and where I, I could have a conversation with somebody as opposed to, like, the choppy, shitty interviews that you usually get with, you know, ensemble radio shows uh, unless one person handles the interview, and that's not how we've done it on TMA. Um, and so, you know, and also the hours wore him down, and he got married, and, and I'm just like, yeah, God bless you, you know? I mean, shit, and producer Joe, he's just like, I just don't want to be, you know, stuck in this spot in my 50s and, you know, be... Just, it's just not what I want to do, and got good, good for both of them. They've gone on, and Kevin, the non-gay, he's, he's an attorney now. <laughs> so, you know, I, I mean, I, I want that. So when Iggy told me that, I said, hey, man, absolutely good for you. The thing I want to tell you is I don't think that this thing is going to be around long. So, you know, while I don't, because at that point we were talking with some FM stations. That's where I thought we were going to go. If you would have asked me on the day of the 590, the man, 13, the woman thing, where I thought we were going to go, I would have given you a much different answer than 920. Uh, I don't even know if 920 would have been in the top three at the time, actually. Um, And so I said that to Iggy. I said, but I get your situation. You can't not know. And if you have this offer on the table, take it. But, But just you know, in the back of your mind, kind of always have a plan B because I don't think it's going to be around very long. And then it, I think it only took a few months before, you know, they stopped making payroll and checks were bouncing on payroll. And, you know, it was an absolute disaster. But the best part about it was Iggy, <laughs> in that 120-day period in between us leaving and starting CBS Sports 920 and having to be at KFNS, Iggy got sideways with his... Uh, with one of the hosts of the show he was producing <laughs> because she would tell stories, and you were in for uh, her co-host, right, Pete? Yeah. Yep. Katie Cruz. Tell- yep. And every morning <laughs> she would come in and tell stories about rock stars from the 80s who she fucked. <laughs> <laughs> Which you'd think would be right up Biggie's alley. You would, but then there were, because of the dynamic. Right. And other things that I probably shouldn't say. Iggy will probably be more comfortable saying them. But it just wasn't something that was real appetizing to Iggy. <laughs> and it led to, within a week of him leaving our show to go be executive producer there where he's making more money, where he was not talking to a host <laughs> of his show. <laughs> and they'd stop talking, period, going forward. And then when we went to 920, he'd be in the middle of produ- being the executive producer of 1380 The Woman. And then he would text into our show. And I'd text him back and go, hey, man, I, I assume you don't want me to read this. And he goes, fuck it. I don't care. It's so, so bad over here. <laughs> and so when when the time came and we were going back to KFNS in 2016 um, with, uh, with the offer Randy Markell put in there for us to leave 920 and go back to 2016, Randy was – uh, a big advocate of making sure that there was a spot for Iggy. And I said, well, shit, Randy, that's a no-brainer. As a matter of fact, I'd like to have him on TMA 
because of what you know this this person said and i know what you think pete um you're a huge fan as well of iggy's that you cannot create a character like iggy you cannot create it he is gold he is absolute gold he's the best but so much of the key to being a great character on radio and it it sounds like a criticism but i have it I, i think i have it anyway is a lack of self-awareness. And I guess I have a self-awareness and like I'm aware that these things are going to cause problems when I say them or that they'll irritate people. But I really, it's like, I mean, I, I think about it like in a few years, like my son listening to this stuff about me talking about orgies and shit and, you know, <laughs> whatever, whatever it is that, that he would go back and hear. But I mean, it's how I really think. I don't, I don't really apologize for it. But I also know that I'm sure there are some people probably who are peers of mine, probably people I play golf with are like, yeah, you ever listen to his show? I mean, you know, he's not like that, though, when we play golf, you know. But, I mean, the show, holy shit, they talk about, like, swinging and, you know, he's he's really like, you know, he doesn't believe in God. And, you know, and I'm, I'm but to me, it's like, yeah, it's what I think. I don't think a big deal of it. So that's important. And then why the TMA works is then you have Doug who and, and the cat who are at this heightened sense of awareness because they're scared to death of this ruining their TV jobs. <laughs> So you have the oil and vinegar element of my weird shit, but Iggy's really weird shit, <laughs> and then how Iggy just doesn't fucking care, and 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 doesn't. And then the best part is his like confusion when the audience <laughs> gives him shit about it. That's what makes it work. And now you have the Plowhawk, and I don't know what the hell happened because I've watched that like evolve, who has gone from you know like this just one hundred percent approval rating, likable stoner. To just having the most <laughs> hot takes on anything, who is you know and Hitty, Iggy or in, in lockstep, and then Gangster Pete, you come along and you don't give a fuck <laughs> to tell the audience to go fuck themselves, and I kind of like it. But it's in a dip. But whereas producer Joe and Iggy used to, and they have this in common, they used to say, "Well, I don't fucking care what the audience says," but they're clearly upset about what the audience said. You really clearly don't give a fuck about what the audience says and actually are kind of like I was just talking about swerving into the hatred and go, I don't really fucking care. I have my friends from high school and college. I don't really give a shit. Fine. What do you say on Facebook about me? Great. Who fucking cares? And that's what I think. That is the recipe. But you could never create this. Like I'm in 2001 going, hey, there's nothing for people like under the age of 50 to listen to if you're a sports fan in St. Louis. But I didn't go, okay, I'm going to get – this, you know, 60-something <laughs> pervert who yearns to be back at hedonism, even though he hasn't been there for more than a decade. Great idea. How much money do you need? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A, a guy who's high but angry as fuck. You know, a producer with an MBA who's beyond overqualified for what he's currently doing. Working with Doug, who at the time I was working with, and, and I knew Doug was hilarious, but never visualized doing a radio show with him. I knew the cat from TV as well and being at the ballpark and all of that stuff. And then me, you know, still telling essentially the same views. They haven't changed in 20 years. I'm still all for, you know, sexual free-for-alls and still complete <laughs> godless pervert. And that, that would wind up being the recipe. I was just like, yeah, interviewing beat writers is boring and having a contrived sports take is boring. So fuck this. Let's do something different. That's what it was. But Iggy added to the show permanently in 2016 wound up being similar to me as the podcast thing was and how it brought in more people. It brought in more people than the podcast thing did. And then Iggy is the 
like if the show is ever kind of just slow, you know you can go to Iggy, and he is going to he's going to be like Robert Ory, like in the final seconds of an NBA playoff game. You know he's going to hit the shot. He's unapologetically. Iggy. I know you're a huge fan. Oh yeah, he's unapologetically Iggy. It's like my boy Deep said. It's like he's lived a thousand Deep. lives. Like, and it's unbelievable. And like, you think you've heard all his stories, and you're not even close. He'll break out a right. new one. Like the other Every day. morning, they're really, they're really, I feel like there's something I, I've never he- heard before. And the key is, and this is the thing that, the, this is the reason why I giggle, and it might be the reason why you giggle. I think we're the easily, that we lead the league in giggles on the show. Yeah, yeah. I don't even know. I guess maybe the plowhawk, but his are more like spurts of stoner <laughs> laughter. But the, 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 the thing that makes Doug and the Cat and Iggy so, for me, hilarious is that they can deliver these things completely deadpan. Yeah. You know, they don't break. And and I can't do that. Like, no. I can't get through some of these emails without <laughs> pissing myself. And Iggy just tells these stories, and he's kind of monotone. And and then also so like, well, what? What's wrong? He's like so <laughs> nonchalant. Well, of course, I, I fucked I fuck this. I fucked these, <laughs> you know, 12 women in a hot tub while 20 guys ate Jamaican jerk chicken. What? What's <laughs> fucking weird about that, you know? And it's just, <laughs> that's the thing. That's the key. That's the best. Oh, we we got these girlfriends and we got to Vegas and they'd clean our apartments. <laughs> like what? <laughs> How does I mean, this happen? I mean, and so the guy who, you know, I don't, I don't know. I mean, he's essentially on air. Basically, that's his role on the show. Uh, since we don't really do much guests on the program, but uh, this guy who is a producer on the show by definition also organized a a. a, a, a food service union in Bermuda? I mean, <laughs> and this is the same guy, you know, and, and was seduced by a, a gay piano player in a lounge <laughs> in St. Louis with cocaine, you know, and the it's just delivered, and that's the thing. I remember growing up, well, not growing up, but like in my early 20s, and I would, the thing I envied the most about Stern, and then also Charles Barkley, and they both still have it, but now Stern's on satellite, so there are a bunch of guys doing it now with podcasts, a million people are doing it, is they could say shit, but like the rules didn't apply to them. You know what 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 they would say, Stern and Barkley. And now, like I said, it's a bunch of people, but nobody at their level of it. Uh, they would say it, they would mean it, and uh, uh, you know, people talk about political correctness now. It was around then too. You just didn't have social media, and they they wouldn't get taken out by it. If anything, all it did was strengthen them. And I remember just being in, like, I'm just like, God, that's the best. Because I felt like people were getting taken out for things that really weren't wrong, but that was the way that the culture was moving, and I admired their invincibility. And I love the fact that on our show, something that, like, if we were to ever be, and not that this would happen, but if our show were on, like, KMOX, and within five (laughs) minutes Iggy talks about hedonism, or, like, how Chase Richards tried to bang him in his hot tub while doing cocaine, I mean, they would be in our studio turning off our feed so fucking quickly, you know, our heads would spin. And yet here, it's like we say this stuff, and and it's just like, yeah, we don't even think anything of it. It's become normalized. But it's harmless. It's like, it's not we're hurting anybody. It's These are our stories or these are our views. We're not espousing hatred. It's not mean-spirited. It's just the way... It's what our lives are or have been or what our views are or continue to be. And and Iggy is, I mean, listen, the show was obviously popular, you know, going forward into 2016. Otherwise, I wouldn't be talking about all these people that were so young in 2015 at our 
10th anniversary party, but Iggy's addition to the show has been um, one of the best things that has happened to this program, um, you know, in its 16-year history, but without question, because, you know, it allows us to not have to force sports topics, not that we were doing it before, but the, you don't even miss a beat. And to the point now that, like, I'm sure you see him, Pete, because we both have the text inbox up, like the occasional texter will be like, why don't you talk any sports? The Blues played last night, you know, and you go. Yeah. And then I always click on the person's name and then scroll down to see where they usually text, <laughs> and usually they text in after 10 o'clock. Right. I'm like, good, go fuck yourself. I guess Bernie's in a break, whatever, you know. <laughs> this is what we do, and we've been doing it for 16 years. Like, at the same time, like, what do you expect Frank to start talking about tits? You know, you know, it's, that's not what he does. <laughs> so this is what we do. <laughs> and if after 16 years you haven't figured it out, you know, we'll talk sports if there's something going on that the local audience is interested in. Otherwise, we're just going to bullshit. And I love being able to do that, and Iggy only adds to it. I mean, that's the thing. He only adds to it. But I say the thing that separates it is the deadpan delivery and his ability to not give a shit if he catches <laughs> hell, which he, of course, does hourly. So that those are my favorite elements of Iggy, and I'm so glad that uh, Randy Markell back in 2016 – uh, said, "Hey, uh, Bud, you wanna, uh, you wanna, you wanna have Iggy uh, stick around?" I'm like, "Absolutely! Can I have him on my show?" And that's how it all came to pass. He's the best, man. I love watching him during emails, like when Timmy Tom's go- Timmy Tom Tom's going <laughs> in on him. He's kind of leaned back in his chair and kind of laughing, laughing. Yeah, he, and no he, one can I mean, see but that. Noticeably, he backs away from the microphone because <laughs> yeah. he doesn't want people to hear him laughing. Like, so oh. I don't want to. I don't want to ruin it for people, but uh, but he is laughing, and that's the thing you got. I mean, that's the. I mean, but we. I don't know if we've ever had it on the show because it, it just wouldn't work if you had somebody who wouldn't, you know, who'd be on the show who you couldn't bust their balls on something. I mean, it would be. You know, I guess some people say, "Oh, the cat's hypersensitive. He dishes it out. He can't take it." But I mean, recently you've had Katessi Chattel emailing in <laughs> almost regularly, ripping the cat. Um, but Iggy gets obviously more shit than anybody else, and uh, and he, I mean, he thinks it's hilarious. He's just, he really is. He he is. I mean, I, but I mean, then you get me going on somebody else on the show, and I'll say, well, he's the best. So it it just yeah. there's, but but he really, you know, what he has added to the show has been uh, has been incredible and so. i will i will say also underneath all that creep the guy has a huge heart he's always thinking about other people he does all that stuff with the megan meyer foundation people know about but then there's little stuff like every day like he, he makes jokes about how he's all this crap in his apartment like if he sees something that he thinks you'll like he like brings it like even him yes, just bringing you know, that like, avn like, magazine the, the avn magazine like, for he, me which i just you know <laughs> couldn't and if i do buy the station i'm gonna have to say to him hey listen you know, drop it in the mail and send it to me. If you really want to get it to me, don't bring it into the radio station. I don't need any litigation. But, um, yeah, I agree I agree with you. Part of what I wanted to I mean, I just feel like him and the Plowhawk, I realize the Plowhawk's 30-plus years younger, but I feel like both those guys, and, and you, since you know what your various roles would be should this all happen, is to reward people who I think bring way more to the table than, um, you know, they're currently being compensated for and by the way that's not that's not a complaint per se you have to have some uh capital and some you know willing to take a chance on doing some new things but from my standpoint it's pretty obvious that uh that we could be doing more with personalities like iggy and the plowhawks and uh hell you've already proven it what we could do with merchandise and uh and 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 what we've done with the golf tournament speaks for itself i mean that that's a 
that's a phenomenon. I don't know. I, I think the Rizzuto show is probably the only show in the market that could sell out two days' worth of a golf tournament in, uh, you know, I don't even know. I mean, either way, we sold out two days of a golf tournament. But you Pretty know, cool. Yeah, I mean, that's just, it's and I think two foursomes on each hole. I mean, it's it's just, it's absurd. And that's the thing. And so it's thrilling when so many people, uh, as I was telling you before we started up here, I have more investors than I have spots for, which is, I mean, what a what a great vote of confidence, even though I wasn't looking for a vote of confidence. What a great vote of confidence um, from the public in, you know, what we have and what they see as the potential. That's the best. And, you know, most of those people haven't heard me talk about and go through numbers. You know, they just know that this show and the people involved with it you know, have something, and uh, and they and they want to be a part of it too. You know, just from an investment standpoint. So it's a, it's an incredibly, you know, it's a, it's it's a, it's a it's a great thing, and everybody on the show contributes. You can't take one person away from the show and then have it not miss a beat. It's just the way that it is. And yep. I said, I think last week, or maybe I said it on the radio. I don't fucking know. Who knows where I'm saying these things? But um, you know, everybody's got their favorite. And everybody has their least favorite, and that's that's natural. But I assure you, from being in the trenches with these other five people, and back in the day with the Sea Monster, and back in the day with uh, Prod Joe, and, and all the board ops heretofore, uh, that you know we know that okay, well this person's leaving. This is going to change it. You know, you might view me as the key, or you might view Doug as the key, or you might view the cat as the key. Whatever you're viewing. But I'm telling you, you mess with one piece of it, and it drastically alters. And that's why we've fought so hard and continue to do so to keep the group together. So, um, you know, Iggy being a part of it, and I would love to play a role in Iggy making more money because, I, honestly, when it gets down to it, I think he deserves it. Um, and I feel the same way about uh, the Plowhawk, and I feel the same way about you, Pete. And that's, you know, that to, to me there's no reason why – uh, you 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 have to go in and and you know I don't want to get on a spot where I'm saying something that wouldn't be good, but you know there's just there 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 can be better days and um, but but I want to make sure that you know I at least put a uh, strategy in place to help the people who have helped me over the years and ideally lead to uh, to more money and happiness uh for uh those involved so anyway that's how we'll finish it because i was i was already over an hour I've, i'm like an hour and five minutes i think if uh if my clock is correct here in the basement uh is that correct uh gangster pete uh yeah, yeah we're all good like man 20 yeah okay cool um hey i want to make sure i thank our sponsors i am closing on my loan uh or my refinancing with uh ryan kelly tomorrow the home loan expert.com and i used to hear doug talk about how easy it was well now Unless something really strange happens tomorrow, I can tell you this. This has been so easy, and on top of it, it is saving me about 20-plus percent on my uh, my payment every month. And uh, I don't have a payment coming up here at the end of this month or the 1st of May or whatever the hell it is. So, um, uh, I mean, it, it, it actually, I think, is now irresponsible to not at least look into thehomeloanexpert.com. Uh, and... If you're concerned, oh, it's going to be a whole thing. I don't have the time for it. I'm telling you this. It could not have been easier. And the various options they provided, 
what was best for me and my family. I just I, I cannot speak highly enough about uh, thehomeloanexpert.com. I was already a Ryan Kelly fan, but now as somebody who has personally done business with him, my sister had done business with him before, uh, but now I can speak to it as well, thehomeloanexpert.com. James Carlton, the Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency, 314-961-4800. Go online at carltoninsurance.net. Boy, there is a guy who is a... Uh, just like Ryan, who's been the title sponsor of uh, the radio show and a decade uh, of, of a near decade of being the title sponsor of the radio show. You also have uh, James Carlton, who's been loyal to this podcast and uh, and and now the radio show as well, just like Ryan with the podcast and the radio show. And uh, and I'm thrilled that so many people are doing business with him. First off, we want to pr- provide a return for our advertisers, our investors. Of course, that goes without saying. But I want to make sure that our audience is taken care of. And I know that if you are with James Carlton and his staff in Webster Groves, you are taken care of. I mean, it's just, oh, it's it's another, it's an absolute other world. And that's not to say my, my previous company was bad. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying James is just so good. He just really, and he's like in his early, mid-30s. I mean, this guy's got years ahead of uh, continuing to build his business. Big time recommendation for James Carlton, 314-961-4800 or go online at carltoninsurance.net. And also, Mark Hanna, Evergreen Wealth Strategies. Been raving about Mark for a couple of years, and especially at this moment when he comes on the radio show and talks about the volatility in the market during this pandemic, uh, his calm delivery and uh, perspective, I think, is... uh, has convinced a lot of people to finally do what I've been saying. Hey, it wouldn't be a bad idea to go to evergreenstl.com and uh, and do business with Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies. I am telling you, I think you would be very happy with uh, contacting him. His name is Mark Hanna. The website is evergreenstl.com. And if you are in the phone number game, uh, Mark Hanna's phone number is 314 889 0503 Mark Hanna with Evergreen Wealth Strategies and Design Air Heating and Cooling. Seth Goldcamp has been a loyal sponsor as well for years. DesignAirService.com. They are the number one train dealer in the Midwest. Seth has experienced a rush of TMA and Tim McKernan Show listeners doing business with him. And they are an essential service. Right now we're in this weird spot. As Pete and I are doing the show, it's like 40 degrees out. Uh, but I look at the forecast, and next week you're starting to go up into the 70s and the 80s, so you're going to want to make sure that air conditioning is working. Do it right now when people aren't thinking this is the time to take advantage of it. You don't get, you don't fall uh, down with a bunch of people who are uh, late to the game. Go online at designairservice.com. They're the number one train dealer in the Midwest. It's hard to stop train, design air, heating and cooling. And Johnny Landoff Chevrolet. Anna Marie's car from Johnny Landoff Chevrolet. Go online at landoff.com, Chevy find new roads. All right, that'll wrap it up for this edition of Questions from the Audience. For Gangster Pete, I'm Tim McKernan. This has been the Tim McKernan Show from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. Peloton, let's go! This holiday, with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes, from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you.